From the cry of a people in the anguish of tribulation to the glorious triumph of their coming king. That's how our teacher, the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee, describes the shift that we see today as our study of Psalm 44 concludes and we move into Psalm 45. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you to another great adventure in God's Word. Now, as you find your seat on the Bible bus and you turn to the Psalms, I want to share a few letters from our fellow passengers. Here's one from Roberta in Massachusetts who recently emailed to say, Christ is risen. And God is moving like wildfire around the globe. I bawled my eyes out listening to a recent report by Stephen Gregg. It's scary good. So wonderful, it reminds me of my favorite book, Revelation. Powerful, exciting, revealing, and amazing. Glory to God. I will be praying about all of it. Thank you, and thank you, Lord God of heaven. Well, thanks, Roberta. I agree it's exciting to see that God is at work, and we are all privileged to play a part, aren't we? Next, we hear from Matt in Michigan. I've been listening for 10 years now and appreciate your mobile app. At first, it was on and off, but now for the last five years, it's been every day. I really enjoy your program. It's helped me get to know the Bible, and I enjoy Dr. McGee's unique personality. Your program has also helped me have assurance of my salvation. Without Dr. McGee's constant teaching on the eternal security of the believer, I'd be a lost and depressed person. Thanks for your ministry. It is a joy to ride the Bible bus, and it's a new adventure every day. Please send me a pack of Bible bus passes so I can share the program with others. Well, that's a great note, Matt. Your passes are on the way, by the way. And if you'd like to share this journey with others as well, you can request a pack of our Bible bus passes. Those have got a little QR code on them, and that points them to our website with links, and you can download the program from there on a mobile app. Just call 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll get them out to you right away. Next, we've got Shirley in Spokane Valley, Washington, and she wrote to tell her through the Bible story. My mother was born in 1906 and went home to Jesus in January 1987. I'm now 87 years old, and I still miss her. She listened many years to you every day after we moved to town and had electricity. I lived my first 16 years without electricity or plumbing. Because of my mama's devotion and faithfulness in serving the Lord, I became a Christian at the young age of 12. When I married and had my own family, I also listened to Dr. McGee, and now my grown children and their families are on the Bible bus too. Thank you for being faithful and a part of our home story all these years. Please keep on keeping on. God bless you all. Well, thanks, Shirley. We're so glad to have your family as part of our listening family as well. Now, our last letter is from Jay in Orlando. He writes, Jesus Christ is the best thing to ever happen to me. I first listened to Dr. McGee in 2018. It is a must for me to stay on board the Bible bus. I really cannot put into words how my heart sings and feels for Almighty Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you exactly what he does for me, but it is more than I can comprehend. I do know this. My life has meaning, purpose, and hope solely because of him. He loved me that much that he spoke me into existence and then sends me Jesus to secure my eternity. Jay then continues, I didn't understand justification and sanctification before Dr. McGee. I really can't put into words how instrumental his teaching is in helping my journey with God. This is some good stuff. I call this some good cooking. I am blessed. God blessed me, yes. God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ is an ongoing, constant, and continuous blessing to me. Wow, just wow. Much love to all of you. Well, I certainly share your enthusiasm for God's Word, Jay. It's so great to study with you. Well, let's now pray, and let's get the Bible bus rolling. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. It's making such a difference in our lives. Through your Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand the treasure that you have for us in Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen.
Let's turn our attention now to Psalm 44 and 45 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, we return back to the 44th Psalm. And as we indicated last time, that this very wonderful Psalm, we hear Israel during the Great Tribulation calling upon God to deliver them, just as he did in Egypt in the past. And it closes with a great cry to redeem And it furnishes the introduction to the 45th Psalm, one of the great messianic psalms, one of the high points of the Word of God. And we'll be coming to that now today. So let me move on in this 44th Psalm. And you will recall that the children of Israel, just as Gideon had done in that day, Gideon said, well, where is the Lord that performed miracles for us? that our fathers told us about. Well, in the Great Tribulation, they'll think maybe God has forgotten them. But he hasn't forgotten them. And you will find here in this psalm, right in the center of it, they not only look back, but they look forward in great faith. And believe me, this is great faith, especially in the time of the Great Tribulation. And they claim him as their king, although at this time... He has not come. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. That's verse 4. And through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under, who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. Now, they will feel in that day the godly remnant. They are asking for revenge. They are under the law. And they have a right to do that. And we today are to pray for those that deceitfully use us. We are told even actually to love our enemies. Now, that's a very difficult thing to do. But we can turn them over to the Lord. And he's told us, avenge not yourselves. Why? Because we are to turn it over to him. Because he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And I feel like we need to turn a great many folk over to the Lord and commit them to Him, not only for salvation, not only God's people for keeping, but for those today that cause us trouble. Now, I don't mean for some personal grievance, but who actually are trying to hinder out the giving of the Word of God. It's a terrible thing today to try to blacken the name of either a man or a woman who stand for the things of God. Now, I believe you ought to be very careful before you criticize your pastor. You ought to be very sure that what you're saying is the truth, because to some people, he represents God's cause on this earth. And they'll judge God largely by what he says. And if you discredit him... I think that's the reason that a great many young people have turned off the Bible and the church is because they have sat in a home where they've had Christian parents, but those Christian parents served up roast preacher each Sunday. And believe me, that diet gets old, and it's tough. Most of us preachers are really tough, and we don't taste very good. We recognize that, but it's wrong to discredit a man who's giving out the Word of God. So here we see that they are asking for God to intervene. Now, we move down in this psalm, and I do want to move down to the very end of it. In verse 22, they are in deep trouble. 
now. And we see them actually in the time of great trouble. The enemy is raging against them. That little horn that Daniel mentioned that Daniel says will wear out the saints of the Most High. They're in trouble. These are Jewish saints. And he makes war with them to overcome them. And they are warned not to fight back. And they refuse the mark of the beast. And they've been killed in large numbers. And they're crying out to God. This is the darkest moment, I think, in the history of the world. And listen now to verse 22. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's not quite a picture of the church right now, would you say? There are some suffering, and there's some suffering for Christ's sake too, by the way. And there are many today, I think, that are. But by and large, the church is not in this position. What the nation Israel will be, that is the remnant. When I want to keep that very clear. We're talking about the remnant, and when we talk about the church, we're not talking about the total number of church members, our total number of churches. Verse 23, he says, Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Here is a cry for God to wake up, as it were. Well, God is not asleep. It's in their desperation that they do this. At the time that the Maccabees came to the foreground in Israel. And this is between the Old and New Testament. And that, by the way, as far as the past is concerned, was probably the time that they suffered more than they have at any time in their past history. But it'll be nothing compared to the Great Tribulation period. And they had then a group of priests that were called the Wakers. And they were the ones that cried out to God. And they raised the cry for, Wake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? And in that day they felt like God was asleep. But John Hyrcanus, one of the great Maccabees, had this to say to them. He says, Does the deity sleep? Hath not the Scripture said, Behold, the keeper of Israel slumbereth and sleepeth not. And that, by the way, broke up that group of the wakers. You don't have to ask God to wake up, but certainly there are times you feel like it, and the people at this time will feel that way. Listen to them. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Well, he's not asleep. He's getting ready to move. Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore, hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression. For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Now, this is a cry that comes probably at the darkest moment in the history of this world. And it's at this time the king comes. This is the time that he breaks through. And that brings us now to Psalm 45. This is a messianic psalm so quoted in the New Testament. It's by the sons of Korah. And it's also a psalm to the chief musician upon Shoshanim. And Shoshanim means lilies. It's a picture of Christ as the Messiah. He's the lily of the valley as well as the rose of Sharon, you know. And the Targum says here that in translating this, Thy beauty, O King Messiah, is greater than that of the children of man. 
Now, as we come to this 45th Psalm, we come to a very wonderful, wonderful Psalm, and we'll just stay here for the rest of this period today, because this Psalm now speaks of the second coming of Christ. And here, the entire tenor and tone of the Psalms change. Up to this time, it's been these people in tribulation. Now, this looks to the future. This speaks of his advent and glory, his coming as king. You have it in the 19th chapter of Revelation. And our Lord Jesus Christ spoke of it also. And this is the hope of the world. Now, here, thy beauty, verse 2, it says, Thou art fairer than the children of man. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. Now, where it says that, here's where the Chaldean Targum says, Thy beauty, O King Messiah, is greater than the sons of man. The Lord Jesus says in prophecy in the Song of Solomon, I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. And you remember when he was here, he says, Consider the lilies of the field. And when you're thinking of the lilies of the field, consider him. And that's what we do in this psalm here. Now, listen to him in verse 1. My heart is overflowing with a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. It's a very interesting thing here. He says, my heart's just overflowing. I just got something I must say, and I wish I could tell it to you because my tongue moves faster than my pen does. And I think that's true for many of us. And have you ever been very excited about something? You write a friend, and then you look at what you've written, and you, oh, you say, oh, I wish I could tell it to him. And just this day, while I've been making this tape, I wanted to write a friend of mine down in Florida. And I decided not to write him because I couldn't say what I wanted to say, so I just called him by telephone. And the psalmist chair couldn't call us by telephone. So he's given us the 45th Psalm. Now you'll have in verses 2 through 5, you have the Messiah, his person and power. Then you have the Messiah, his government and glory, 6 through 8. Then you have the Messiah, his companions and church, verses 9 through 17. Now you'll notice what he says here again in verse 2. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. This is a love song, and this is to be occupied with a person. Remember Paul mentioned that in Second Corinthians, the third chapter, about beholding as in a mirror the Lord Jesus, and we're changed from glory to glory. We need to behold him more. Now, we are seeing him here not as Savior, but as King. Verse 3, Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. Now, here's when he comes forward. He's coming forth here not as Savior. He's coming forth as the king in his second coming. And we need, I think, a correct perspective of Christ. Before, you'll recall, they expected a Messiah with a sword. He came without a sword. Remember, he says, put up thy sword. He said, if I needed any help, we'd have legions of angels here. He said, they that take the sword will perish with the sword. Now, today they expect a Messiah without a sword, just bringing peace. 
Well, he's coming this next time. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's Psalm 2, where he's coming the second time. And that's quoted several times in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, in respect to his second coming. Now, when he returns, he's going to find the world in rebellion. Antichrist is in power and persecuting God's people, both the remnant of Israel and that great company of Gentiles that have turned to God. Now, grace is in his lips. There's also condemnation and judgment, too. But our attention is called to this. I think we ought to be realistic, not idealistic. How else will he come to power? He'll have to come to power because the wrath of the Lamb is being now displayed against a world that's in rebellion against him. And we're told here in verse 4, and let me read that, "...and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee all inspiring things." I like that translation a little better. Now notice... He's riding to victory, and here's his platform. Truth, meekness, righteousness. These are the three planks in his platform. Do you know any candidate today that's using these three planks in his platform? They don't sound meek to me, and truth, I wonder, and righteousness, well, that's not the motive. The whole motive today is not to do right. It's to get elected. And, oh, how this poor nation of ours needs a candidate who will speak truth, who exhibits a little meekness, and who goes out for righteousness. These are eternal principles of his kingdom, and they're enduring that. No president, no leader, no dictator, no king ever comes to power on this platform in the history of this world. And that's the reason he's different. The character of Christ, he is the truth. His words are truth. And he's made a liar in this world today. But all men are liars, not Christ. And you won't hear the truth today in the halls of Congress, or in the marts of trade, or on Wall Street, or in our industrial complexes, or on our college campuses, or in the newspaper, or on the TV or the radio. All news is slanted today, and you won't hear it in a great many churches. He's coming to power on truth, and he's coming to power on this matter of humility, meekness. And humility is something that we need today. It's something that someone has said, if you wish to astonish the whole world, tell the truth. And that's the way he's coming, to power. And I tell you, it'll be startling, too. Now we are told, Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby thy people fall under thee. This is the picture now of his coming to this earth. Now notice the next section here, verse 6 through 8. You have the government and the glory of the Messiah. This is his coronation day, and this is the key of the psalm. Listen, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. He's going to rule in righteousness. We haven't had that yet either. And the need of the world today is a righteous ruler. And God has that one. 
The Lord Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, "...when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory." And not until then will we have peace on this earth. That's the need of the world. When Betsy Ross made the first American flag, George Washington expressed the wish it would wave 1,000 years. We just celebrated the 200th anniversary, and we are already growing old as a nation. But this is the eternal government of God. He's the anointed one. Have you noticed how he's spoken of you? Anointed, it means Messiah means Christ. It's not a name. That's his official title. He came as a prophet. He's the messenger and message of God. That speaks of the past. He is today our great high priest. He's at the right hand of God. That's for the present. But he's coming as king, the Messiah. That's for the future. Now we're told here the oil of gladness. He's anointed with the oil of gladness. We always think of him as a man of sorrows. I think he was the most joyous person on this earth when he came. Will you notice this? God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they've made thee glad. And he came that the joy might be full when he came to this earth. And it was for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. We need a rejoicing church. Israel in the wilderness. Judah, which means praise, led the wilderness march. They complained, they whined, and sang the desert blues, but they should have been praising God. And that's what the church should be doing today. We have a hymn that we sing at Christmas time, and it's not a Christmas hymn at all. Joy to the world, the Savior's come. That refers to his second coming, not his first coming at all. You read that Christmas hymn and maybe you'll want to save it for another occasion. Now, we are told here as we move down, and I must move down in this psalm. It's such a wonderful psalm. In verse 9, we have a scene at the court. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Now, the church is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament. You always see it in type or in figures of speech. No other way. I think most of the brides in the Old Testament are pictures of the church. Eve is, of course. And I think there are others that are. Ruth, in the little book of Ruth. And who is the queen here? Well, I think it's really a picture of the church. And she's not identified. And Christ will lift the church to the throne. And we're told here, Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people, thy father's house. Well, we are to leave the world. We are saved out of the world. We are love not the world. We are to cling to him. Now, the church is to be made beautiful. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. Oh, what a picture that you have here. Sin is removed in that day. And then we come down to this very last verse that is here, and that is verse 17. And I probably ought to just say a word well, I'd love to deal with more of it, but let me take the last verse. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. It is the millennial kingdom. But the millennial kingdom goes on into eternity after he makes a few adjustments, after Satan is turned loose, and then he's again 
cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. This, my friend, is a glorious psalm. When you put it back in its perspective, it has a great meaning for us today. And I trust that we see it in its perspective. We'll go on from there next time. Psalm 46. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Until then, for more information on Through the Bible's ministry and the resources that we offer to help you deepen your love of God's Word, call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. And remember, you can also reach us by mail. Our address is Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. And when you're in touch, be sure to share how you study with us. Is it by app? Is it online? Is it version? Maybe it's our Bible Companions. Maybe it's your favorite Christian radio station. You know, there are so many great options. What's your favorite? Thanks in advance, by the way, for helping us be good stewards as we continue our mission of sharing God's whole word with his whole world. I'm Steve Schwetz, so grateful for your company on the Bible bus. I'll be here next time, Lord willing, and I'll save you a seat. Jesus came Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.